I have a hard time understanding how the answers line up to either they're the same team or they're a worse team. Where, when does the answer become how they become a better team? If you injected them with true serum, they're eyeing 2022 for that. <laughs> they're clearly, to some degree, trying to white knuckle 2021. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week, again, fresh from recording a video about SLU, a day after recording a podcast with Dan McLaughlin, two days after hosting his own radio show. It's the busiest man in St. Louis sports media, Ben Fredrickson. Thank you for uh, carving out a little time to, to rejoin the podcast this week, Ben. Oh, happy to be here. Um, overexposed is the word you're you're looking for, um, but uh, but no, always good to, to catch up, man. And hope you're hope you're doing well, and hope the family's good entering this holiday season. But yeah, man, exciting times to talk baseball because there's uh, a lack of stuff going on, yet plenty of intrigue about where the sport stands, um, what this season is going to look like. A lot of speculation, but I don't feel so bad speculating because the people who are actually making these decisions are speculating too. So why can't the rest of us? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way to look at it. Is look, you know, the teams, um, the executives with the teams, they don't have all the answers. Um, some way, in some parts, because Major League Baseball isn't giving them to them, and because in some ways Major League Baseball doesn't have the answers, and that is largely because what was true in March and what was true in July and true in October remains true today, that the virus is in control and they can only respond to it. Um, I think, you know, this past week, we would have spent a lot of time together, right? That would have been the plan to head off to Dallas to cover the winter meetings, daily chats, constant updates, lots of reporting and scuttlebutt and lobby activity and there was really, you know, there was some of that. The White Sox certainly made waves. Um, there was a lot of, you know, there, there was more chatter about potential moves. And, of course, there was clarity with minor leagues. Um, and that that debate's just really continuing. But at least there's clarity as to what the 120 is going to look like for affiliates. Not much has changed for the Cardinals. But overall, the Cardinals just kind of remain on the sidelines, right? I mean, they are in a holding pattern everywhere. Moselak did meet with the media, though not daily, um, did have a, a Zoom call with the local media. What were some of the takeaways from that? I think that will be kind of the structure of this podcast. So for you, where did, where did that conversation, what was the thing that stood out most in that conversation with Moselak? I think the first thing that jumped out was the Cardinals missed the memo that went out to the White Sox and the Royals that it was okay to like get a jump on things. <laughs> um, you know, the, I guess that's only allowed in the in the AL Central, not the NL Central. But I, I joke. But part of that is right because of the the uncertainty around the DH. And um, you have reported, and and Mosellock has has talked about this right now. They're they're planning as if there's there's not going to be the DH in 2021 because that's if the season starts right now, that's what it would look like. However, the Cardinals, like every other team, and like you and I know, are you know kind of waiting to see how that plays out because it certainly seems like something that could happen any day now in discussions between the owners and the players union. Um, right. It's appalling to me, you know, this sport is obsessed with knowing every inch of it, the landscape and analyzing players down to the, the most minuscule molecule. It's, it's insane to me that these two sides cannot find it in, in both sides, best interest to determine if 15 teams are going to have 
a DH in 2021 halfway through these virtual winter meetings. It, I think it's a sign of where the animosity between players and owners is. I think it's a sign of the cliff that is coming with the new CBA. It's a, it's, it's a lot of things, but what it means for national league teams is they're trying to figure out how to build their lineups without um, a confirmation on if there's going to be a key part involved. Now, some teams have a guy who you can say, Hey, this is great news. We can pull a pure DH off our bench and, and let it rip. The Cardinals don't have that guy. The Cardinals have had the carousel approach at DH. The Cardinals would be really wise to go out and grab a, a pure DH to help this power needing lineup. But are they going to get one or not? So that's part of the holdup. I think that was the takeaway initially that I got from the Zoom is the Cardinals sound like a team that would be interested in that if it becomes available. And then the other thing I would I would draw from would be that they're really kind of uh, prioritizing Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. Those conversations are ongoing. Nothing imminent there. It doesn't sound like. And and part of what they do will be determined off of what happens with those two. So they're really kind of they're held up on legacy. And they're also held up on the fact that they don't know if they're going to be able to get an easy answer for the DH or not. And yet when I asked if they needed Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright to, you know, either resign or move on before they could move on to other things, Mozilla kind of pushed back on that. It, it certainly seemed like the way he laid things out, that those had to be the first dominoes to fall. And then he said, no, I, I guess that to me, there were, the the whole Zoom press conference was just a bunch of almost like catch twenty two contradictions. You know, like I mean, he even said it at one point in time that they could be better or they could not be better. Well, yeah, of course, that's the direction you could go. I mean, so it, it he he spelled out how getting a deal done or having Molina back was important to move on to other things and then said it wasn't necessary to move on to other things. <laughs> I, I just, I think it just speaks to maybe this deadly embrace that they find themselves in, you know, either, either the answers aren't clear to them or they're so interested in not giving direct answers to not give away their approach, which doesn't seem to be the case um, or that they just find themselves at this fulcrum where they could go either way and they just don't know which way they're gonna go yeah i mean reading between the lines it sure sounds like they'd like to have yadi and wainwright back but on their terms and they would also like to wait around and see what falls through the cracks and grab something to help the offense in a short-term fashion the cardinals are are being pretty candid about the fact that they see 2022 as a year where they're going to be able to refresh some some spots and 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 perhaps be a more competitive me a more competitive team with some additions and some some prospects coming up through the system um now they're not willing to say that means they're going to not try to compete in 2021 but um you know you wouldn't be probably the most uh critical person ever if you said well it doesn't sound like they're all that interested in competing in in 2021 um they want to compete if they can find somebody who's cheap and affordable in short term um, which you know that's that's not exactly going to to be that easy to find, especially this early in the offseason. Now there are going to be deals to be had. You can't look at the list of free agents and look at the amount of non-tenders and 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 think differently. Um, the Cardinals aren't going to come out and say, "Yeah, we're just going to wait around and grab whoever's left out looking for a job." But you're kind of getting some of those vibes. Um, this was a more, you know. I think definitive statement about the appeal of the DH to them than we've heard on record before 
Um, it's and it sounds like the idea of them going out and making a significant change to the outfield is maybe not one that is all that appealing. Um, which look, I I can get what? pushing. How back is that not that possible? Because I, if they're going to do that, then they've got to change the way they've handled the outfield. Um, if they really okay. are truly believing that they haven't gotten a good read on these guys, then they've got to do something different. Stop giving so many opportunities to Tyler O'Neill to find out what Justin Williams and Lane Thomas can be. Um, start splitting, you know, start using the splits to 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 match up with uh, with Dexter Fowler and, and Harrison Bader. And then if you do that, then there's still room to add somebody who can provide some some power potential and and, and offensive lift in the outfield. I, this idea of well, we have to find out who these outfielders are cannot be then followed again by not creating opportunities for Justin Williams, who they say they're excited about, for Elaine Thomas, who's had two seasons drop out from beneath him due to freak injuries, one a freak injury and the other COVID. Um, yeah. They can't keep just penciling in the same guys and and not basing it off performance and then say they're trying to figure out who they have. I get being a little gun shy after you know the way the Rosarena situation has worked out, um, but that can't lead to doing the same thing over again and expecting different results. Now, ideally, you know, I think if, if they were to draw it up perfectly, they would get this DH, they would go get a pure DH, and then that would take some pressure off of the outfield mix and match. But if that doesn't happen, then the offensive upgrade has to come somewhere because they have to do something to drag this offense toward a National League average amount of runs or else they're going to have to answer questions as to why they're punting on 2021. And and that's a fair question to ask. This team defends well, it pitches well, but it doesn't have an offense that can compete at the highest level. They have to do something to get it back toward that average amount of NL offense in order to be able to be closer to competing with those teams. And if they don't do it, then it's a fair question. They can phrase it however they want, but it will not be a team that's trying to compete in 2021 if they don't find a way to improve the offense based off of what we've seen the last two years. It's as simple as that. There's a lot that I want to ask you about there, and I want to start first with that notion of giving more opportunity to the outfield. But first, let me tell you everybody about our sponsor. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. That's Closet by Design of St. Louis. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. If I were to ask you, Mr. Fredrickson, what outfielders have forced the 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 Cardinals to take notice with their production over the last three, four years? Who would be on that list? Because it seems like they are handing out opportunity based on projections, not always on performance. And I, I get that that's part of the game, you know, and that always has been. But let's go back 15 years and or not, I guess not 15 years. Let's go back 13 years, 12 years. Colby Rasmus forced the issue with them. He was a standout player at double A, continued success at triple A, forced his way up to the majors with performance. John Jay performed at the major league level overtook Rasmus for playing time, made it possible for the Cardinals who felt like Rasmus had stalled 
um, and were worried about having a, a diminishing asset that they couldn't later trade for the same price. And they made the move in 2011. They, you know, along the way, at some point in time, doesn't performance have to push the opportunity, have to drive that opportunity and not projection? Well, I think the Cardinals would have reason to question their projections right now. Sure. Um, they've projected Tyler O'Neill to be the, you know, the, the guy that they create opportunities for that they hope diminishes the conversation of, hey, they should have gone and got Bryce Harper. I mean, people can can laugh about that, but that's that was part of the Cardinals discussion about this. Hey, why would we go get, you know, why would we go get in the race for Bryce Harper when we got this guy coming up in Tyler O'Neill? Well, um, the projections are are promising, but the performance hasn't been good. It's getting worse. Three seasons now where his OPS has declined. Um, I get that the power potential is there, but it's not overlapping. It's not overshadowing the bad and left field. I'm sorry, is not the place where you have to have a, a gold glove player. Um, to me, it's like I, I look at Lane Thomas and, and this is not the Cardinals fault that he got a, a wrist broken by a pitch and he got COVID that really messed him up the rest of the year. But I yeah. do think you have to acknowledge what three seasons of, of significant opportunity for O'Neill have not provided and wonder if you tilt playing time toward a guy like Lane Thomas, who has hit at at all levels, well, um, I think you know, he's Justin, one, he's an example Justin, of the performance. That's right. What he would be exactly. he'd be on that list. And then Justin Williams. Now he's maybe more of a, a risk, but you you and I both know when we are at the ballpark and that guy hits, it's loud. And that's what this, this team summer needs. was. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if his swing. I've heard you know his swings long. Can it? Get, well, it I, is. It'd be nice to find out. You know if they're going to keep him around because and you'd think the Cardinals would be more willing to question their own projections because that's kind of what they've admitted they've been burned at. Look, the Cardinals have for a long time been the team where the guys who are cast off elsewhere come and prove that their stealing was predetermined. And now they're getting a taste of their own medicine. But for them, it's brutal because they are a draft and develop team that has to fill from within before they go add from the outside. And they've got examples now of guys that, that I'm not saying they would have had these success with them, who knows? But that they've clearly missed the ceiling on. Luke yeah. Lloyd is an example. Um, I mean, he's been doing it for three seasons now with the Yankees. And I'm not saying that the Cardinals would rather have Luke Hoyt than Paul Goldschmidt. But I do think the Cardinals did not think he could be that player. Um, and clearly, Randy Rosarena now, which the Cardinals have admitted, yeah, they probably should have had their outfield rankings a little, a little, you know, repositioned there. Um, and we'll see what, what Randy does, and you have to see what Matthew Libertor does. And I get it. You don't grade a trade in the middle. But the first grade is one that says the Cardinals maybe should have found some more playing time for a Rosarena. But, yeah. you know, Mo can admit that, but but Schilt can't. Schilt can't say that he that he wished he would have played a Rosarena more. I don't, I don't understand that. But I'm with you, man. At some point, if you keep talking about wanting to really know what these guys can do, then you got to give them some form of opportunity. If Tyler O'Neill goes elsewhere and becomes the hitter the Cardinals thought he could be, well, that's where they Cardinals, are. Yeah. The Cardinals can point to three consecutive seasons of 100 plus at bats that said we tried, it didn't work. We 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 spun the dial. They can't say that about a Rosarena. They can't say that about Voight. So I think some of the discussion has to be about not being less impatient, but spreading the love around a little bit when they don't have a clear cut starter. I mean that I wrote that I wrote that in a in a column this week. They don't have starting outfielders. They have outfielders they start. So start more of them and play the matchups, and then then you might be able to get a read on what more guys can do, and you might stumble into one. 
but you have to be willing to make some changes if you're not going to bring someone else in from the outside. I mean, I think it'd be great if they go get Eddie Rosario, then you got a starting outfielder. But if they're not going to do that because they feel like they have to find out what they have, then you actually have to go find out what you have. You can't say one thing and keep doing the other. Actually spread the love around and see see who takes advantage of it. And if no one does, then you got to go get multiple new outfielders in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I, I just go back to the idea that, like, so in 2018, Tyler O'Neill hit 35 home runs. 26 of those came in AAA. You know, he had a 1,000 OPS there in AAA, an 800 OPS in 61 games at St. Louis. So, I mean, he split the season, 64 games in AAA, 61 games in, in St. Louis in the majors. And, you know, I mean, his he slugged 500. He had an 803 OPS and 130 at-bats with the Cardinals in 2018. You know, that's performance that forces attention. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is the performance that forces attention. So he did that. He got that chance then in in 2019. Randy Orozarena had performance that forced attention. Lane Thomas had performance that forced attention. Um, Neither of them have really gotten that same kind of look. Harrison Bader had performance at the major league level that forced attention. Um, And then, you know, part of that was then he revealed he's an elite center fielder and they seem to really be like just taken by this notion that he can play center field and they don't want to give up a step there to try to gain something, you know, offensively, or at least that's the way they talk. And then you go down the list and Dylan Carlson's performance has forced attention in the minor leagues. But at what point in time does the, does performance like recent performance elbow aside their patience to wait on projection. I, I just think that they're there. That's the point they're at. And yeah, I get, and you're right. It does seem like they are hesitant to move on from somebody out of seeing Tyler O'Neill go hit 30 home runs for some other team at this point. Yeah. But, and that's, and I, and some of that's understandable, but also doubling down on something that is proving to be something that shouldn't be bet on anymore is, is doesn't make it right. Um, and, and Tyler O'Neill, if he doesn't work out for the Cardinals, he's going to be looked at. That's, that's a trade that cuts multiple ways because, A, Marco Gonzalez would have helped this team. He yep. certainly helped the Mariners. And, B, Tyler O'Neill was prioritized ahead of guys who could have, seems like, helped the Cardinals, one being Randy Rosarena. So, you know, Bader, to me, is a little different because Bader, while not a giant leap, took a step forward offensively in 2020. That should be um, noted. And that so his his he's still kind of doing the the roller coaster up and down a little bit, um, which is to more encouraging trend line than O'Neill, who's been significantly down offensively um, in each of his three seasons with with roughly the same amount of of opportunity. So you know, and I think too, if the Cardinals will lean into these splits a little bit more, yep, they don't have a guy on this team who has hit left-handed pitching better than Bader has. They really right. don't. Not for power, which is what they need. He crushes lefties. So if they're willing to actually do more than talk about playing kind of that splitty style and actually do it, then I think people can maybe have a different view of of Harrison Bader if he's if he's maximized in that role a little bit. And that's kind of what I can see this outfield looking like maybe is Completely. where they actually just lean into the splits. And that, that means it's extra fouler too. Um, yep. You know, this whole idea of get everybody opportunity – doesn't work if you're starting Dexter Fowler every day just because the contract suggests he should play him in ways that optimize his value. 
And and you don't have to not play him or you don't have to get rid of him. They're not going to anyway. So what's the point of even talking about that? And when he's healthy, he's been effective. So yep. play him in ways that maximize his value. Play the splits. Pick the matchups. They they were able to do that. And, and you and I have talked about this, um, I don't think on a podcast, but the, what they were able to do kind of in that rush back from the crush that was their COVID pause, they really, I think, the the front office should have gotten confidence in in Schilt and his staff for an ability to do that toggle yep. different lineups play different guys and if they let them do that with the outfield and I think they could get better production from the outfield just based off of basically wiping the board free of everyday starters and playing having the outfield show up to the ballpark every day with the lineup telling them who's going to play where I'd like to see Carlson start every day but he doesn't have to start in the same position. Right. Um, and then everybody else can just mix and match. Now, if they don't like that, tough. They were the only outfield in baseball that started the, the season last year hitting seven, eight, and nine. Okay, we're not talking about guys who deserve to come in with their chest puffed out saying they're a starter. They don't have right. any true starters. They might say they do, but but the numbers, the production that you're talking about, it tells us differently. So don't let that become a weakness. Try to use it as an advantage. Try to try to spin the carousel with the guys you have if you're not going to add to it. And and see what you get at the after the season. It would be a more refreshing take and approach to an outfield that is looking pretty tired over the past few seasons. I mean, we're talking about an OPS, and, and you and I have both written about it. The lowest OPS that group has produced in in more than three decades. So the idea that anybody has to be playing every day that's that's not the case. A good approach for the Cardinals, and they've if they've done it. I mean, they've done this. Um, I don't know. I'm going to oversimplify how they've done it, but it would, cause obviously they can't all gather in the same office, but get on a zoom and think of the nine spots on the field, eight position players and discuss how many positions do they really have a everyday starter at, uh, and say Molina comes back. So how many of those eight positions is there really an everyday starter and how many of those positions would be stronger by being a complement a platoon um less less about one individual and more about maximizing the production from that one position they 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 have more freedom to do that now in part because they did not pick up the option of colton wong so now second base third base left field center field and right field are really five out of the eight positions in play for people to move around and they would look a lot like what the Dodgers did and how they approached their lineup. And they look very much like what the Tampa Bay Rays did and how they approached their lineup. And to be to borrow from another sport, the Cardinals really should think in line changes. They should think of, you know, this is the group versus lefties. This is the group versus righties. This is the defense group. This is the group that starts the infield that starts when there's a ground ball guy. This is the group that they finish games with and get the defensive saves. Just think in line changes. You know, they got their first line team that they're going to use most often against right-handed pitching. They got their second line team, which they're going to use often against left-handed pitching. They got their third line team, the checkers, the defense first, the run prevention group, the suffocating infield, however. And then they got their fourth line rest group, right? That kind of takes a shift every couple weeks. And, uh, you know, and, and gives the usual starters a breather. So just think about it. I mean, they, they could approach it like a, 
I mean, the, the metaphor works, right? Like a hockey team and just have line changes. I mean, I, and I think it's fair to point out, well, they don't have hitters like the Dodgers, which can roll in waves. Right. But here's the thing. But they hide, the, but the Dodgers hide some of their guys. Like, let's, let's right. be honest. Like, okay, no, so. You're right. But here's like the Jock Peterson doesn't start every day, and Jock Peterson looks really good because he doesn't start every day. Taylor exactly. moves around the field, and his defense doesn't get exposed every day because he's moving other places on the field, and and he bats lower in the order. Now, now that's a fair point. Like he probably bat higher in the Cardinals' orders because he's that type of player. But right. there's a model there. Like look at the look at what the Rays did with their leadoff spot. You know, they had two first basemen who started. You know, split games. They batted leadoff because they got on base. And then lo and behold, towards the end of the, you know, game, then in comes the defense guy. I mean, I think I think those two teams, look, the Dodgers are arguably the most versatile and deepest lineup I've covered in a long time. I mean, like maybe going back to like the MVP three days days with the Cardinals. But they they were able to hide their flaws by their willingness to be versatile. Okay, and, and that's my point. If the Dodgers can do that with the talent that they have, why wouldn't a team with less offensive talent try it? It's Absolutely. the difference between embracing the obvious versus ignoring it. And, and I think <laughs> okay. what the yeah. Cardinals have been guilty of here, especially in recent seasons, are creating these positions where every it's like every time a guy does something good, especially a young guy who's going to have ups and downs, it's almost like they just immediately thrust him into this spotlight that is almost impossible to sustain you know tommy edmund hits it goes it goes three four five in a in a rookie emergence and immediately he's supposed to be an answer for the lineup well of course tommy edmund wasn't going to be a three four five guy in, in his follow-up season that who was really expecting that realistically now maybe he didn't hit as well as people would have hoped but of yeah. course he was gonna ha- he was gonna come back down to earth a little bit paul DeYoung has an all-star season and immediately he's the the he has to be the answer at cleanup Harrison Bader has a good debut and immediately he's modeling the powder blue uniforms. It's like they almost set these guys up to have so much expected from them that it's then impossible to perform. And it does. It creates this, it creates this, this, I think, you know, pressure that I don't know that it's always good for players to be under. Um, you know, we've seen mm. how that can work in, in against them. Maybe flip it on its head and say, hey, pressure's off. You know, show up to the lineup, show up to the ballpark every day and see who plays. And if guys don't like that, which not everybody will, you know what? Change it. Because if you play, if you play your tail off so much that all of a sudden you're breaking the splits and you're forcing your way onto the field every day, then then things will look a little different. Absolutely. Maybe everyday starters will emerge. But I, I do like the idea of if they're not going to make significant changes um, outside of maybe a, a DH, which sounds like they kind of want to do. Then, then open it up and and really and really play those splits. We've heard them talk about this before, and it was when Matheny was the manager, and they talked all about this athletic, you know, splitty type team that they had. And then it, he didn't like it, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. They, the team didn't like it, and then immediately after that, it was like warped back the other way, where they needed to have an everyday answer. I mean, Mo kind of shrugged that off when I asked him about it on the Zoom, but you and I were both there last year's winter meetings when we asked about specifically Jock Peterson without mentioning his name as a platoon type answer for the outfield. And we were told that they were looking for everyday solutions. Correct. So yep. They have changed their, their tone on this multiple times, but right now, if they ignore that they have a team that would be better off playing that way, then 
then that's that's going to be problematic unless they go out and find true everyday answers. Because saying you have everyday answers when you have a team that should maximize the splits is a good way to have a worse team than you would. You brought up the DH there, and in the comments from Ozelak, he said that that is the easiest, most direct way that they could look at improving their offense. Were, were you that sold on the idea that they just wouldn't turn those at-bats over to somebody they already have and, and say that, well, we now we have these extra at-bats to give these opportunities? Were you that convinced that that's not just how they would use it, or did you think that his implication was that they would add somebody from the outside? I think if, if the Cardinals do get the DH for 2021 and they don't create you know, some way to add proven power um, in that role that can be the everyday DH and that, and that, you know, if they're going to hold steady everywhere else, but if they don't do that, that, that's shameful (laughs) with it, with the amount of guys who are available right now who can hit 20 to 30 home runs in their sleep that are going to be signing one to two year deals. um, It would be crazy for a team that has been the lowest in slugging percentage in both of the last postseasons to not make a very easy short-term solution to the DH. I mean, Nelson Cruz on a two-year deal or overpay him for one. And if he hits, you know, people say, well, what if he's so old? What if he declines? If he declines, what's he going to do? Hit 25 home runs? That's, <laughs> that's way more than the Cardinals have anybody that yeah. they can hit. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt will probably hit you 25 if you get somebody else in the lineup who they have to pitch to. You right. know, it makes them, like, this guy cannot be left out on the island again this year. You had one more fearsome bat on a really appealing deal, and they're going to be available. Then all of a sudden, Paul DeYoung doesn't have to be the hero. And he gets, I mean, you see how it trickles down. Absolutely. If they, if, they, if they get that chance and if they ignore it and then don't do anything for the outfield, I don't, I don't know what to tell people about this team's desire to compete because it would be the easiest solution to this group. I also don't know why. I really don't know why they're not pounding the table, pushing for it and demanding that they get an answer on it either, because you would think teams would want teams like the Cardinals specifically would want to know the answer on this and would want to be pushing for it. But, you know, I know that Cardinals fans don't like the DH, but that's exactly what this team needs. They need a a proven DH, someone who shows up knowing they're going to be in that spot, not someone who's going to show up and, Oh, you know, they get a break from the field and, and, you know, Brad Miller, is not a DH. He shouldn't be, not when there's this many DHs available. Um, you know, he can have good a good run, and he did as, as the Cardinals, but they need someone who can hit home runs. They need someone who can take that on-base percentage they're good at and turn it into crooked numbers, and a simple short-term solution is going to be out there, even if you have to, to pay a little bit more than you like. Go find the Colton Wong of offense, somebody who got purged because the team had enough power, like the Twins, mm-hmm. And, and stick him in there and take pressure off everybody else and then continue to sort out your sorting for the big change in 2022, that's a sign of what the Cardinals said they wanted to do. We're not going to take a year off from competing, they tell us, but we are keeping an eye on 2022. Well, that short-term answer for that temporary spot, although it will probably be extended in the new CBA, that would be a, a move that that says exactly that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I just I just wait for the moment where they describe, like, well, the DH would really help us and then there's the dot, 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 get more at-bats for the guys we already have. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, th- that would be that would be brutal because they don't have really anybody who screams, you know, DH right now. They need someone who's – they need to add a feared bat somehow. 
and that would give them an opportunity to to do it. Um, I mean, it's not just Nelson Cruz. There are, there are multiple guys out there who could fit that role. And you know what? If he doesn't hit and if he tanks, then go back to your original plan and, and cycle it through. And, 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 and there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract, right? Right. But, my goodness, find somebody who can hit the ball out of the ballpark once in a while. So this past week, the Chicago White Sox were very active around the winter meetings. They they signed Adam Eaton, a player who had appealed to the Cardinals before and was part of the chain of events um, that led to the Cardinals signing Dexter Fowler and adding that extra year to make it happen and sort of beat the other the other suitors for him, like the Toronto Blue Jays, for example. Uh, you know, and then of course the the White Sox trade for Lance Lynn, a former Cardinal who led the league, led the majors in innings pitch during this past, this past uh, shortened season. So are you ready for a pop quiz of sorts, Ben Fredrickson? Because I think while all the focus is on offense and clearly that's an area where the Cardinals want to improve and the Cardinals need to improve. And that is all realistic for them. And the opportunities to improve are certainly out there and they'll be out there in January. It sure seems. Um, But there's something I want to ask you about that I think is maybe getting overlooked here and actually might be a little bit more of a concern than the Cardinals are letting on. Are you ready for a pop quiz? You're going to make me talk pitching, aren't you? Can you name the Cardinals' five starters? Oh, um, I think I can try. Okay. Um, I will go with uh, – are, are, we, are we playing Adam Wainwright is back or not? No. As of right now, who are the Cardinals' five starters if they had to fill a rotation with this current roster? Wait, so is Wainwright back or not? He's not. He's not on the roster. Okay. He's a free agent. So, so Wainwright, we're assuming Wainwright is gone. We're not assuming that. I'm saying as of right now, the roster they have today, today, right now, can you fill a roster? Can you fill a rotation? Oh, sure. Because I don't think they're going to play 162 games, D. Yeah, I don't think they are either. Um, yeah. So, okay, we can do this. Uh, Jack Flaherty. Correct. Um, Hudson's out. So Correct. I would go with Kim. Okay. And then, uh, then I'm basically just picking, picking and choosing. Daniel Ponce de Leon, Austin Gomber, Oviedo. I, I guess I'll, I'll give Carlos a shot to redeem himself, depending on what he Miles Michaelis like is ready. Miles Michaelis is back. Yeah, for, uh, he, he didn't pitch last year. I'm looking at last year's stats. So Michaelis is back. So you really have three in Kim, Flaherty, and Michaelis. And then, you're, and then you're just – throwing it at spring training and, and seeing who performs the best out of that between Oviedo. I like Reyes as an option. Um, so I, I, I really feel like it's not going to be proven, but there's talent there. Um, and then maybe, you know, who knows what happens with Libertor. You've got, you've got even Woodford um, still kind of in, in mm-hmm. the mix there. So I'd go young after, after the top three. And then I, I but I do think Wainwright is going to be back also, unless I'm wrong there. That so Wainwright and Hudson, neither of whom are at the moment correct uh, possibilities for the Cardinals last year. They combined to make 30% of their starts in this past year and throw 105 of the 280 innings. The, I was looking at this and I got to be honest, like I look at the pitching staff and I hear a lot of the same things about the pitching staff that you could probably say about the lineup, right? Oh, they just need opportunity. Oh, there's a lot of promise there. Oh, there's a lot of potential. You know, they just need the opportunity. They need the innings. So should you look at that as a strength, or is that really a, a sneaky concern for this team now? Well, I think you have to factor in the 
the um, the tradition. Um, okay. The fact that they 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 have a good grip on pitching and and a, and a, and a loosened uh, failing grip on 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 offense. <laughs> okay. They have pitching. You know, a lot of teams would like to have you know an Austin Gomber. A lot of teams would like to have a Daniel Ponce de Leon, and, and they don't have to be guys who make every single start. But I think the mix of arms is what is appealing. It's not individuals as much as it is as it is the depth. Um, and yeah, if you if you don't have Wainwright back, then there's a big deficit in terms of um, what you can count on. Um, but I think what you're the difference for me at least is Cardinals pitchers, young pitchers have more or less impressed mm-hmm. for recent seasons. Cardinals hitters, young hitters have have not been so impressive. So you're kind of banking on your you're kind of banking on the tradition as much as, as anything. Um, and there's a, more of a, a better trend line there. Now, having said that, as 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 Mo would say, I think he's he, that that phrase is in my head because we just sat on a Zoom with him for an hour and a half. If you do something that worsens your defense, which they have in letting Colton Wong walk, and you are welcoming a less proven pitching staff, which they will do if if Adam Wainwright walks, and you can argue they're doing that anyway because Dakota Hudson won't be back, and you are not making equivalent improvements to the offense, then you're not going to be a better team. You're going to be a, a worse team. Right. If you don't bring Yadier Molina back, good luck banking on young pitchers because who's going to be there? Who's going to be there shepherding them through, through those things that are just, you know, taken for granted when Molina's behind the plate. So there is no move or, or non-move that doesn't increase the, the need to improve or toggle something elsewhere the cardinals keep saying they're a great pitching team a great defense team and they have been but they've they've made a sacrifice defensively they they could make a sacrifice a big one defensively in pitching if if the combination of wainwright and molina goes so unless there's going to be a counterbalance on the offense then then it's totally fair to say they have gotten worse at their strengths and not improved their weakness and i think that's a very valid concern where things stand right now i think that's the crux of what I walked away from that press conference with was with was if the priority is on the legacy guys and bringing them back, then how do you change the team? And if you don't bring them back, then you have removed a gold glove second baseman. You have removed the guy who threw the most innings and was arguably your most important, actually not arguably, he was your most important pitcher in 2020 and has had two really good years and you remove the guy who you have credited with, like you said, nurturing, cultivating, and maximizing pitching for a generation now, and you're going to still say you're a run prevention team? I mean, I just, like, I have a hard time understanding how the answers line up to either, how the answer is either they're, they're the same team or they're a worse team. Where, when does the answer become how they become a better team? Well, yeah, I think that they would they would say that if you injected them with true serum, they're eyeing twenty twenty two for that. <laughs> I mean, they would have sort of bad contracts come off the books, and they're going to have more financial flexibility, and we'll have fans back in the ballpark. Um, they are they're clearly to some degree trying to white knuckle twenty twenty one, but I think they they also hope to to be competitive, and they're looking around the the division, going, no one else is getting that much better either. You know, it's, it, it's certainly in the in the National League Central. So, 
you know, in a vacuum, all these teams are kind of, are, are kind of, you know, looking around going, okay, who's actually going to try to do something here, but they're, they're, their big swing away year will not be this year. This is going to be a hold on year. Um, and, and that's very clear. They're not even really trying to, to hide that, but still, you know, they can do something to, to find ways to hit better. And if they hit better then they can under, they can weather some storms on their, on their, on their other ends. But you, if you're going to not do anything to improve the offense and, and bring the same team back, then at best you're going to be as good as you were last year. And, and that's really probably hopeful to bank on that. Do you think the Cardinals might just play four corner all off season then? I mean, is, do you think that this, that they, you know, will watch and will report on it, people signing elsewhere and maybe, you know, it's, it's the Molina signing that comes right before Christmas. So their Cardinal hats under the tree or, you know, <laughs> Well, I think clearly the biggest, um, I, I really, it's, it's always bad to, to play prediction game, but I think yeah. what you're going to, if I had to predict, I think what you're going to see is they'll find some way to bring Molina and Wainwright back and then they'll do something. They'll do something offense related, you know, probably mm-hmm. a, a budget upside deal that everyone will say, Oh, that's not, that's not very good. And it might not be, but if it works out well, then it will look, it will look smart and it, it could help. But if it doesn't, then it will be panned as being, as being not a big enough, uh, not a big enough change. Mm-hmm. Um, but this notion that they're going to make some big splash or that they're going to rush out to take advantage of the market, that's not going to happen. And you know, it's kind of disappointing because there, are, if you kind of view it as like a stock market thing, there's a real chance for teams to buy low here. Yeah. And, but it has to be a team that's willing to, you know, go for it. You know, the White Sox, for example, are 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 doing that. Um, the Royals are not going for it, but they're clearly buying low to get players they think can improve their team. And the Cardinals are resisting that because they, they, a are, are, you know, self-imposing financial restrictions that are based off of some of the losses they took last year. Um, but B they're not viewing, they're viewing 2022 as they're kind of reshaping. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and their actions are going to, are going to show that they might not say it like that, and I do think they want to try to be good in 2021. They're not really a, an organization that punts, but they do have, um, they do have, how would you describe it? Um, they do have levels of, of, of contention that they have in mind. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say 2021 is going to be a high one for them. Now they might, they might find out they, they're, they're, they're more capable of doing that than they initially thought, but this yeah. is not a team that's talking like one that's going to try to, make moves that, that, that thrust them forward and toward their, toward their next world series that they have varying degrees of appetite for, for aggressiveness. Yes. Is that what you I, mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think overall their overarching appetite for aggressiveness leans towards conservative. And if anything, this has dialed it up from, uh, you know, on a zero to 10 scale where, you know, you might say the Phillies are a one on conservative um the cardinals are usually an eight and this has dialed it up to to spinal tap 11 where they're where they're where they're 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 significantly conservative now we'll see if that loosens a little bit if they go all right there's a 120 game season and you're going to have fans in the stands for 60 of them and does that loosen them up a little bit um we'll see i mean that 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 is a possibility because there are so many unknowns at this moment i mean the cardinals are working on models for fans in the stands that range from, you know, something like 50% for the first half and a hundred for the second to 25 in the first and 50 in the, I mean, they mm-hmm. really are, you know, this is not some charade. They don't know. 
They um, want to avoid the zero. Um, yeah. And they but, would lop they, off. They really are. They really are just as wondering as, as the rest of us about what this season will look like. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know, while they're, they're fair for criticism on their aggressiveness, the, 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 the the truth about them kind of wondering what this is going to look like that that's real. And that's ex- every team is experiencing that. So um, for a team that feels like it's on the cusp of a true championship run, um, the, they have incentive to, to go for it no matter what. And you were seeing the white Sox do that. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals based off their actions and comments, they don't feel like that. Um, we would know it if they did. Um, so, you know, that's going to raise questions. And they they are nuanced ones because of the pandemic and the effects of it, the fallout from it, all these things. But we're talking about this upcoming season. It would be ten years since their last World Series win. So I yeah. think at some point you you acknowledge the sustained success model and you 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 know you you compare it to the boomerangs that come and go, and and you stack up the Cardinals' success against the Theo era in, in Chicago, and you, the numbers are what they are in terms of sustainability. But ten years is a big number for a team that wins the, the, the leads the National League in, in World Series wins, and I think that's a fair question to ask too. Is when does that become a number that that irks the Cardinals as much as you know the number of uh, you know fans that are going to be able to be in the stadium? That is a fair question. Here's here's where things the the Cardinals, from what I can tell, the Cardinals would like to add something from the outside, most likely an outfielder. Um, you know, though you could see how an infielder would fit into that or a versatile infielder that would then move Tommy Edmond around, move Matt Carpenter around, but kind of, you know, supplement, um, maybe even be an everyday infielder, just a, not an everyday position, that kind of thing. Um, they, they see the need to add from the outside. The other thing that, um, the, and this is a, this is a thing that is hard to kind of put a finger on reporting wise, and that's a failure on my part, but they, they, they are out there looking for these cash neutral deals and what kind of trades they can make that satisfy both their need to add some kind of offense, some kind of player, again, likely outfielder, um, though, you know, second base and third base also in play for them at a cash neutral point. Um, you know, they made it very clear moded that he doesn't want to give up prospects just to shed salaries, but they, they will have a reduced payroll. And so one way to make that possible is just to find a, um, a match out there where they can get a guy who is desirable for their offense and use, again, we're back to pitching, some of their pitching depth to make that deal possible. Or find a team that is three years away and would like some of their lower level talent um, for the Cardinals to get somebody who they at least have control of for two or three years and how they make that cash. That's that, that is the tone of some of their conversations. And that is somewhat of a revelation that they would be looking for that kind of, you know, deal that wouldn't move their payroll, but would alter their roster. And that would be a smart thing to do. I'm a little hesitant to trade that pitching depth because they're probably going to need it. <laughs> right. You know, We're back to that. What, what happens with, with rain, with, with Wainwright. Um, but uh, I mean, that that's the thing. They have to be opportunistic. You know, some of the Cardinals best deals have not been ones where they've gone out and spent a bunch of money. In fact, some of their worst deals lately have been the ones where they've gone out and for them spent right. a bunch of money. Um, you know, they've really gotten burned for trying to shop on that, 
I would call it like the B plus shelf of free agency. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, there's kind of a, you know, we've seen them totally just abandon the idea of getting any sort of free agent relievers because that pitching depth that they have tends to produce the equivalent um, a cheaper and B without the, you know, the age concerns that they've dealt with with some guys. So they've kind of shied away from that trend. And I think they think they're going to try to shy away from that trend when it comes to position players on that shelf either also. So, and we know they're not going to go, at least we've seen no signs that suggest they're ready to vault into, you know, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper type trajectory um, with, with premier free agents, some of their best, deals have come on the on the bargain bin or whatever you want to call it you know the the old the old pun is low hanging fruit and it's fun to it's fun to to take shots at but i guess you know there would be a point that where kim could have been described as that and how did he turn out for the cardinals um compared to some of the other pitchers that they had so right. if, they, if they can get back to making some smart value plays i think it will do two things a it will help them and help this offense but b i think it will also potentially restore some faith in the Cardinals ability to make projections and ability to yeah. scout and determine, determine things about hitters. Because while we know they can do it with pitchers, the, the, there's a fair question to be asked is can they evaluate and project hitting as well develop. as some of their, as, as well as some of their opponents? They need to develop hitters. I, yeah, I mean, but, I, also, I, but also picking the right guy off of the, off the bargain bin for offense or in the right yes. trade that you can, yep. you can trade for. And he helps, he comes through on the projections that's something that they need to prove too. I mean, it's fair to ask about if they misprojected what Dexter Fowler could be over the course of their contract. It's fair to ask if they misprojected what Matt Carpenter could be right. over the course of his extension. Um, they have an opportunity to prove that that they can still find a value play um, for offense in this restricted financial climate. Is is it wrong that I see this off season with all the non tenders and more than two hundred free agents as an orchard of low hanging fruit? Is that a bad <laughs> way to describe it? Yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like a apple picking um, a festival for toddlers. Yeah, it's just I, I think I'm going to go with that. I think I might trot that line out every so often. I, I just like an it. orchard of low hanging fruit. Well, really, what it is is it's a it's a sign of the disaster that's going to come. Because oh, it's like Florida before a freeze. Get them off the bad. tree. It is yeah. bad, and this CBA negotiation after this season is going to really stink because all these fee, all these all these guys who got shafted are going to be out for blood when it comes to these negotiations, and I understand why. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be ugly, and anyone who's who's assuming it's not is going to be is going to be sorely mistaken. I don't know that there'll be a work stoppage, um, in part if it's a shortened season again, and they end up basically playing the equivalent of one season over the past two, then it probably you know hopes that the fact that there won't be because guys won't want to give up, you know, two seasons in effect, but it's not going to be uh it's not going to be real pretty. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, communication on the positive end going on. We kind of hoped perhaps being Pollyanna's that there might be, this might be a step forward for these two sides, you know, having to bridge the pandemic together, but I'm not getting that vibe very much. And that everybody is the Grinch that stole baseball, Ben Fredrickson. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah i gotta always end it on a, as sour of a note as possible that's kind of my thing <laughs> it's your brand well you wouldn't <laughs> you didn't you didn't disappoint what, what do you have on deck here it, the season or the year is coming to an end that means a lot of year-end wrap-up stories i know that uh, uh as far uh, for me in the coming days with the the post dispatch there'll be you know kind of recaps of the season top stories um you know one of the things they had us put together was 
um, a list of five stories that we did this year that meant a lot to us and why, um, why they were different, why they were, um, why, why they were memorable for us. I know that I put uh, in my five, two stories that were two of the hardest that I've had to write because they were just different. They asked me to do different things as a writer and challenged me in new ways. And then I also included one that was just back in my wheelhouse, one that uh, was, was in my comfort zone. So um, look for that online. Um, what do you have on deck there, Ben? Similar stuff, running down the, the top 10 sports stories of the year, trying to pick a good mix. Obviously, COVID is a huge story, um, but mm-hmm. but there are also some non-COVID stories that are worth reflecting on. So we'll be rolling that out around the, the holidays. Um, we've got, I've been writing a lot about Mizzou, man. The, the Tigers have a, um, you know, a massive weekend coming up Saturday in Columbia um, with a chance to host Georgia and Illinois for bragging rights, a combo of football, basketball that could really elevate the discussion of Mizzou nationally, which they haven't had going for a while. Yeah. So that's been fun. Slew basketball is playing great undefeated. Uh, and that's been exciting to cover. So it's good to have, uh, I feel like we're sports is both crazy, but also crazy busy, um, which is good. I mean, certainly better, better than the alternative. So I wish we were at winter meetings, but uh, finding ways to stay busy and, Hopefully soon we'll be at relatively soon. We'll be at spring training question mark in Jupiter, <laughs> right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, that's, that's the answer. That's the answer that I give. 2020, my friend. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's my answer. I mean, I have, I have no problem saying, I don't know. I know I'm in supposed to be in the business of knowing these things, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And the Cardinals don't know either. And Major League Baseball doesn't know either. They just don't know. They don't know if spring training will start. I don't. I don't know. I do know that the best podcast in baseball will start a new season with roughly the usual start time for spring training. So there's that. And my hope is that we'll get a chance to catch up with you one last time before the end of the year. Talk about your top stories. Go over that. Um, it's gonna be. I, I mean, I th- you know what was the phrase that that Mozilla kept saying was January is the new December. I mean, I, I really think that in a lot of ways, this offseason is not going to require patience so much as it's going to be a test of patience um, for, for the fans, fans. who are agitated. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, for the fans. <laughs> yeah, for the fans, but also, you know, for, yeah, for anybody listening and anybody talking on this podcast, that's what it's going to be. Um, you know, it's a, it's a test of patience, um, you know, and, and the hope is that uh, that there's some kind of activity in baseball uh you know, not in regards to the Cardinals, but just in regards to some forward progress that brings about optimism for what next season holds and then what the season beyond it holds. Because three years of a baseball under a pandemic then bleeding into baseball under labor strife is really unappealing. And that's even before we discussed that 40 different teams were abandoned in this minor league reorganization, leaving, you know, wide swaths of the country, you know, that had access to professional baseball now having that stripped away. And what does that do for the grassroots of the game? So I just think that this is uh, what's, this is an inflection point for baseball. And you hope that while it will be a test of patience, because there aren't answers, there just aren't, there aren't answers out there right now until the culture in the country gets the virus under control that baseball, you know, limits the self-inflicted wounds and is there as a draw there as a rallying point for communities coming out of the fog in 2022 
and not bickering and not absent and not under a work stoppage where people go, well, you know, at least we got Disney plus great. (laughs) That's well said. Um, Baseball should be the sport that, that makes folks excited to get back together again, not increasingly turns people off about two sides arguing about who gets paid. What Um, read the room baseball. You're not very good at it, but now would be a great time to try to learn how. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you every week by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball really anywhere you get your podcast. now. It's really expanded to all different sort of platforms. Of course, you can get it on iTunes. That's where you can listen to individual episodes, download individual episodes. You can subscribe. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible. Sponsorships make the podcast possible. Also rate and review how Ben Fredrickson did on this podcast. So I know whether to ask him back or not. I kid, kind of. I do read I'm the, the reviews. fruit of the podcast invite. Yeah. I know <laughs> Darn. I try, to, I try to, I try to over deliver, but, uh, but you don't pay me that much. So, uh, you, so it's you beat all me to my, of course you just, you, you were two steps ahead of me. You beat me to my <laughs> final line. You can find all of Ben's work at stltoday.com along with the constant Cardinals coverage and all of the things that he does. I think there are 17 videos, three chats, 19 blogs and columns, and then a slideshow, correct? Yeah, video of me doing the cha-cha slide. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I really think that it's impressive that you took the TikTok that we did from spring training and made it into a weekly thing. It got so many yeah, views, no. I had to. But that's yeah, more no or less. That, that, that's only because Rick was in it. Let's not kid ourselves. Rick gets the clicks, man. That's that's Rick Hummel gets the clicks. We know it. So you can find all of his work there too. Rick Hummel will be at the keyboard for the Cardinals chat in the coming week. We'll still have the podcast here, even as we head into the holiday season. And I will try to lure Ben Fredrickson back, though I have increasing competition from Dave Matter and Stu Durando for his insight um so i'll just have to have sharp elbows and uh and try to nudge my way in to get him back as a guest um, because you sir are not the low hanging fruit well thank you for making me feel better i appreciate it and yeah anytime we'll we'll talk before the holidays hopefully we'll have something uh, to talk about although I'm, i'm not getting my hopes up patience patience thank you ben for ben frederickson sports columnist at the st louis post dispatch i'm st louis post dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. this has been the best podcast in baseball stay healthy stay informed and we will talk to you soon have a healthy holiday season